0: Good morning. Yes. It is stunningly beautiful outside. I will preach clearly and as quickly as possible so that we can enjoy it, much like our business meeting will go. If you haven't gotten your copy of Gentle and Lowly, they're on the back table. Today, uh, my group meets at 4.30. We'll read chapter 6 and 7 in time for today. That's basing the message off chapter 6. If you're meeting on Thursdays, 6 and 7 is where we are for this week. Um, it'll take you 15 minutes to read those two chapters. Very short, very, very short chapter. So grab your copies for your adults back there. If you've got your Bible, turn to John 6, verse 35 through 39 today. John 6, verse 35 through 39. Uh, I, I want you to reflect while you're doing that, I want you to think a little bit about the times in your life where you've had buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. I was um, I was on a golf trip on Mother's Day weekend with my church. I was on staff at. For some reason, the men planned a golf trip every Mother's Day weekend. I'm not really sure how that worked, but they did, and that was part of it. And. Um, Holly called me while I was, you know, on some golf course somewhere in East Tennessee and she said, "Hey, I've, Trey was like 6 months old, we'd had this house for about a year and she goes, "Hey, I I found this this perfect house that that I want us to have like this is this is the one." Right? Right. This is this is the one. It's, you know, it needs it needs some work and but the price reflects the discount and they're just they're doing bids. The neighbor is a broker. He's going to manage this thing. I want to put in a, a bid for this, for this house contingent upon the sale of our existing home. And I had not seen the house. I will not see pictures of the house because this was before the time where you could just quickly take pictures on your phone and text them to somebody and, um, or just sell coverage in general. And I, and, I, and I said, well, you know, honey, whatever you think, and, uh, which was the right thing to say um, after he <laughs> had right. After you consider the fact that we had to do so much to this house, um, it, was, it was literally a money pit. I'm not going to lie to you. It, we had buyer, like, it was like, oh, it just, the, the broker, then it was the neighbor so next door. It just needs some siding, and uh, you've got a little hole in the roof up here. But other than that, this place is great. $80,000 later in new siding and a new roof and a new chimney and new floors and a new kitchen, Blah 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 blah. I could go on down the list. Um, we broke even on that little puppy, um, which I guess was better than losing a lot of a lot of money. buyers' remorse. We now have a couch in our living room that was tested. It had to have a sectional, and it was like this weird kind of odd size sectional. And we because of the tables that we have and had to make it make it work. And we were like, you know, we got four kids and you know, cat and people coming in and out, and we really don't want a, a cloth. You know, sofa we kinda ain't, you know, but our leather one we had to put downstairs the base one. Now we need one. A leather section is really expensive and we just get a cloth one. Oh, and she says, Oh, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. But they put this spray over it, this chemical, and it you can get out any stain except for those that Luke and Abby and Rob and Holly and Trey and John put on them. Uh, apparently, and if, and if you can't clean it, they'll come out and do it for you. And if they can get off, they'll they'll send you a brand new cushion, like to put in there, until the company closes and you can't find them anymore, <laughs> because of the pandemic, which is exactly what we are we are dealing with. You know, buy, buyer's remorse. It's just it's just buyer's remorse, right? So, we're, if you're reading uh, gentle and, and lowly, and you, if you're just attending the, the series, what we've what we've seen is this um, the very heart of who Jesus is, is that he is a gentle and he's, and he's lowly. And this gentleness expresses itself in the form of sympathy and it expresses itself in the form of compassion to us who, in our weaknesses, we, um, we you know, in our weaknesses related to temptation. So he, in, in in the weaknesses that we feel and experience in temptation, Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, expresses sympathy or compassion. He suffers with this. And that is, that is incredible news, that God is not uh, standing over us, watching us perform like a coach or a judge who's just bound to be disappointed in the fact that we can't... Win the race every time, rather, when we fail and as we fail, as we suffer, even just under the temptation of those uh, of sin, he sympathizes, he knows exactly how we feel, because he was tempted just like we are in every way, only he did not sin as such, and that 's really incredible news know, this came up in our group on Sunday night. It's almost like it was just' perfect, perfectly pain if you're a part of our community group Sunday night, because the question was raised, well, that's like too good to be true." And that speaks to the jaded human heart, doesn't it? Because as incredible as this news is, we cannot help but wonder, in part because of our own brokenness and in part out of personal experience, in relationships that Even though Jesus may be initially sympathetic, he inevitably will have buyer's remorse. That he will inevitably come to the conclusion that maybe this relationship isn't worth it and no longer have sympathy for us. And so the thing that I want to hammer today is that we are secure in his sympathy that his compassion for us is everlasting, that we can rest in the satisfaction that we have in him. Over and over and over again, this is the resounding teaching of Scripture, that there is nothing you and I could ever do that would lead him to love us any less, for him to have any regret associated um, for his sympathy with us. He will never, ever change his mind regarding Your status and your relationship and your eternity with Him, ever. I'm going to hammer that over and over and over again. I'm going to, it's just, it is contrary to His character as a gentle and lowly and sympathetic and eternal sovereign God to revoke any result of the gospel in your life. You're eternally secure. So let's look at this text, John 6. Um, let's read verses 35. Will you stand with me? We'll read John 6, 35 to 40 together. This is Jesus uh, speaking to the, the Galileans after having fed the 5,000 and walked on water. Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of those He has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to give you four reasons from this text this morning. Four reasons you can be sure that Jesus doesn't have buyer's remorse. You can be sure that you are eternally secure. And the first reason is this. It comes from verse, first part of verse 37. The first reason you are eternally secure is because you are a gift from the Father to the Son. You are a gift of the Father to the Son. Look at verse 37. Jesus says... Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. You, as a believer in Jesus, are a gift from the Father to the Son in whom you are believing. Now, you are probably more familiar with the Bible's promise talking to us about Jesus being a gift to you that you are to receive. Right, John three sixteen. Uh, that's 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 one uh, more common belief, right? For God sold of the world, whoever gave his only gave his every life, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have life. So Jesus is a gift to you that you are to believe in. That is biblical. That is true. That is right. I affirm it. You may also be more familiar with the idea from Scripture, that eternal life is a gift to you that you obtain through a relationship with Jesus, right? So like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by what means? Through the person of of Jesus Christ, right? So in John 3.16, Jesus is a gift to you to be received, Romans 6.23, eternal life is a gift of God to you that you obtain through the means of the person of Jesus. And those are both very true and very biblical ways of understanding and thinking about our salvation and our eternal security. But another way of talking about our salvation is that you are a gift of the Father to the Son. So that first one in John, John 3, I mean, that, that leans us toward human responsibility. That, that you and I have a will, we have a volition, we have a responsibility. Um, and, um, and, and in the midst of having that, we need to choose to accept the gift of Jesus by grace through faith. 100% true. And then the second from Romans 6, um, it uses some logic and and it uses some contrast to help us understand that not only is Jesus a gift from John 3, but the result of eternal life that we get by being uh, in a relationship with Jesus is also a gift, not earned. The only thing we can earn as sinful people is death. But the eternal life that we is a gift of God to us by grace through faith. so we 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 shouldn't in fact, we mustn't view faith and we can't view uh, faith or belief as a work that earns salvation. Uh, instead, it is a gift to us that we obtain by grace through faith and a relationship with Jesus, which which has this kind of teetering on this. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a seesaw, if you will, of kind of like, a, like a scale of keeping a balance between our volition of faith and, and, and choice and then, but the sovereignty and the gift of God in salvation. But then there's this third angle that we read in our text today. And it's, it's just profound. It's prolific. It's all over the place. in John, honestly, and this is really the hinge in the gospel of it. It's very biblical and it's revealed here in this verse and a lot of other places. And in this view... We are the gift. We're the gift of the Father to the Son. And so in all these other passages, there is a requirement on our end to believe and accept the gift. But in this passage, we are the gift from the Father to the Son, which means we are passive in this transaction. So from this angle... It's an angle of the sovereignty of God in our salvation and the sovereignty of God of our eternal security. God is not waiting for people to come to Jesus. He has chosen people and giving them as a gift to Jesus. Do you see this? And it's really important that we feel the weight and the truth of this statement and this reality, both from the context in this passage and just for the reality in themselves. Our eternal security hinges on us comprehending this truth. To the degree that we grasp this and believe this, our eternal security we will feel and grasp. Okay? So look at the context. Go back to verse 35 and 36. Right? Jesus said, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them, and no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. And then Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And yet, uh, everybody the Father gives me will come come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out, which I'll come to in, in in just a moment. So Jesus is saying what he's saying in verse 37. Everyone the Father who gives me will come to me as an answer to the question of doubt. Jesus must not be who he is, who he says he is, if people aren't believing. Look at John 35. He says, I'm the bread of life, and no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Well, if that's true, how come the people in Galilee in this very moment aren't believing? And so Jesus is answering that question of doubt. And Jesus' answer is that unbelief by some is not indicative of God's faith. Failing. Unbelief does not mean that God has failed. Human belief or unbelief is just one side of the equation. And quite honestly, it pales in comparison to the divine will and the divine volition of of that side of the equation. So Jesus says, listen, I am who I am. I am the bread of life. If you will come to me, you will be satisfied eternally forever. You will be content spiritually forever forever. And yet, even though I am that, and you're looking at him, and I am telling you exactly who I am, you don't believe. And you might think that because you don't believe and because others don't believe, I must not be who I say I am. And what Jesus is saying is, who I am is not indicative of whether or not you believe it or not. I am who I am. And the fact of the matter is, is God is giving me all of the people he wants to give me. So inasmuch as as Jesus is a gift to be received, verse 35, we are a gift to the Father, to the Son. And everyone, Jesus says in verse 37, everyone, which is a collective word, but it, but it specifically is referring to the individual parts that make up the whole, every single person, every one of those gifts will be given to the Son everyone. So the context is doubt and immediately the context is doubt because of unbelief. But this doubt applies to the keeping of our salvation as well, not just the uh, creation of our salvation. So think, I want you to think about you being a Christian and then you doubting whether or not you're a Christian. Oh my goodness, y'all. This, this passage, uh, well, let me just let me personalize this a little bit. I can remember as a middle schooler and a high schooler, baptized at the age of 10, so a middle school and high school, sitting in my bed at night, stressed and anxious and praying over and over and over again, night after night after night for months. Lord, no, really, you have to save me. Am I really? I mean, you... I, I Because this is what I was doing, and it's what we all do. I was looking at my sin, and I was looking at my unbiblical behavior, and I was telling myself all of the reasons why I must not really be a Christian because I did this or didn't do that. That's what I was doing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I don't know if you've ever felt that. And in those moments, there is some value and comfort and nostalgia like, well, remember, Rob, you were 10 and and Jimmy Street talked to you about the gospel and you agreed and you were baptized and he gave you a Bible and it's even got a note from Jim Street in the Bible. There's some value to that. But how much better is it just to tell tell yourself what Jesus says? And Jesus says, inasmuch as you have believed in me as a gift to you, you are a gift to me from my Father. Inasmuch, Rob, as you chose me in 1985, he chose you before there was time. You're mine because God the Father gave you to me. I will bank on Jesus' promises before my own behavior anytime. Amen. So I want to relieve you of the burden of doubt related to eternal security because you are a gift from the Father to the Son. You're a gift. If you believe, you're a gift. If you accept the gift, you become a gift. Number two, the Son eternally treasures you as a gift. Look at verse 37b. Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one, remember I said everyone, and then I said it's, it's a collector now, but it's paying a part to the individual. Jesus continues that thread here. Everyone the Father who gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, Emphasizing you, the individual, the person, I will never cast out. Any questions? You are a gift of the Father to the Son, and the Son will never let you go. He eternally treasures you as a gift. Now, this is structured... I learned a new word. I love English. Every now and then I just get really geeked out with grammar and English and things like that. And I just love it. And this is a very interesting construct in English. It's called a litotes. You ever heard that word before? Me neither. Uh, but I learned it this week. L-I-T-O-T-E-S. And I, I kept saying Latotes, Latotes when I was reading it. And then I went to the website where you type in the word and you just hit spell it. And it's litotes, litotes, litotes. What is the lie to tease? Well, let me give you an example. Jonathan was—I don't know—it was your first chess tournament, so here in town. So I, I guess you were probably eight, nine years old. I don't—I don't remember. It was your very first one at the Percy Priest—not Percy Priest—elementary school in uh, Forest Hills area, right? Your very first one, unranked, and you went to open thing, and you got like fifth place, right? Fifth place. Johnny got fifth place in this whole elementary tournament in the open bracket. He'd never played before. And nobody knew who this kid was because he wasn't involved in the public school system, the Chester and whatever. He'd just been learning on his own and he crushed it. He got fifth place. Which in Chester that's a big deal. Okay, he may as well have won the championship as far as father was concerned. But you know, he just, he, he, fifth, it was fifth place. So Jono, and he goes fifth place, Jonathan Timms and the kids were like, who is, who is Jonathan you know, Tim's? And Jono goes up there and gets his trophy. And the director of the tournament gave him his trophy, and he said, man, fifth place in your first tournament, that is no small chunk of change, right? That is a You are emphasizing just how amazing and wonderful something is by emphasizing it from the negative, Okay, that's a lie to tease. So Big Mama, our Holly's grandmother, does this all the time. Well, she used to do it all the time. She'd say, you know, she always complained about how expensive something was. And instead of saying, it costs $4,000, she would say, well, you know, it was at least a house payment. <laughs> something like that, right. Her point being, it wasn't cheap. Well, you go to, like, somebody's going to plan a Disney vacation. You say, well, if you're going to go there, you just need to know that, it's, you know, there's it's no house payment. It's ridiculous. Is what it is. It's really, really expensive. That's what Jesus is doing here in this statement. He says, I will never cast out. What he's saying is, I am so going to treasure you. I'm going to so value you. I'm going to so hold you tight. I'm going to spoil you rotten. I'm going to do all the things that the son is supposed to do of this gift from the father. You see what I'm saying? It's, it is meant to emphasize just how much He treasures you as a gift. So we can be assured that regardless of whether or not we are living up to the quality of the gift, we are secure because Jesus has chosen to treasure us as the gift. We are treasured because He chooses to treasure us, not because we bring the value in as treasure. So I want you to think of it like insurance. One time Holly and I moved banks which I do not recommend and in that process we forgot to update the automatic draft for our term life insurance policies and we got a warning in the mail that if we didn't pay our premium they're going to cancel our coverage which makes sense contractually I get it. God gives eternal life not term life. A lot of us are insecure because we think that we've got to pay a premium to keep what God gave us to the Son. Right? That's false assurance. This is eternal life, not term life, where nobody's paying a premium. Jesus paid the premium. (laughs) Right. If we want to mix the metaphor a little bit. Now, at the same time, that does not give us a license to live however we want to live. I've got eternal security. Good. I'll go live it up. Okay. Keeping with the insurance theme, if you properly understand the assurance that you have because you are a gift of the son and the son treasures the gift, if you properly understand insurance, you don't abuse it when you don't. Uh, you don't abuse it uh, when you understand it, right? So I have health insurance, but I'm not chewing on razor blades, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's, it's just not the way it works. And God wants us to know that when we, he, we that assurance doesn't lead us to be less uh, less aggressive, less desirous of being the gift that God the Father has made us. But when we fall short, Jesus isn't treasuring us based on how well we keep up that path, y'all. Jesus is treasuring us because we're a gift from the Father, period. And he's just decided. It is who he is. He is that. He treasures. He sympathizes. He gets it. He's never letting us go. That's what he's committed to do as the son. I will never cast him out. Which is to say, lie to tease, I'm going to hold him so tight, his eyes are going to pop out. Got it? Eternal security. Number three, it is God's will, the Father's will that you be kept. Number one, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. Number two, the Son eternally treasures you as that gift. Number three, it is the Father's sovereign will that you be kept. Look at verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Now, I know that you are... If you're like me, I don't want to, I'm not going to put words on your mouth. I'm not going to cast a shadow over your, your character, your convictions. But I'm, if you're anything like me, you are a freedom-loving person. And you struggle with the fact that your will is not sovereign. I've got four kids, and my will is rarely sovereign over theirs, much less the father's. The fact of the matter is, is that God's sovereign will trumps mine every time. It trumps mine every time. Now, I know that is hard to grasp. How in the world could it be true that I've got to choose to believe and yet God chose me from both time? I don't know. If I could explain it, I'd write the book through Lifeway, and we'd both make a ton of money and give it to missions. Okay? That's what I would do with it. I don't know. All I know is that in one verse, Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me who will come to me, and I'm never going to cast him out. And then in verse 40, he says, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. It's both. How are those friends? I don't know, but they are. They are friends. Now, my favorite way of understanding this comes from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, In Mere Christianity. It kind of helps me understand. So I, I want to illustrate, Luke, Luke, come here, come here. Did you solve that Rubik's cube while I've been doing it, or did Trey do it for you? Okay, good. Okay, very good. All right, <laughs> he's a genius. Uh, I'm just kidding. Well, Trey, I guess Jay, Trey is. He's got the risk. Okay, so this is Luke, and I'm going to put Luke on this end of the rug. Luke, right here. Okay, stand there. Keep your arms folded. Make sure you pout. Okay, you good. Luke is the beginning of time, right here. Weston, come here. Come here, big boy. How you doing? All right, you are the end of time. I could have chosen your father, but he'd have gotten offended. So we'll choose we'll choose you. So Luke, you're the beginning of time. Do you remember what happens at the beginning of time in the book of Genesis? What happens? That's right, it creates the world. That's right. And we all know what's gonna happen at the end of time. You want to show him your tattoo on your thigh from Revelation nineteen? Okay, good. There's very good Right. Jesus and we, we enter into a new thing. Okay. Now from here to here. You got it? Beginning of time. Stay on, get off the rug. There you go. So, sovereign will. Get off the rug. Did you see what I did? I said, get off the rug. And he got as close to the edge, but stayed on the rug. Can you imagine the father in this? Okay. So right there right there. How many choices are human beings making between these two things? How, just Think about your own life. If this were when Weston was born and this is where Weston's going to die, how many choices is he making in here? You say, where is God in those choices? Answer, he's this barn. Does that make sense? Every choice, every decision that's being made on my ever-shrinking timeline from Luke down here, every one of them is made within the sovereignty and the will of God. Thank you, guys. Y'all could be seated. Appreciate your help. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Go sit down. There. Right? All of the choices made inside our timelines are made within the context of somebody who is outside of time. Every one of them. Are you making choices in this room right now? Yes. Are you making them in such a way that you could ever trump God's? No, because he's this whole thing outside of time so God has sovereignly and lovingly declared verse 39 and verse 40 that you're going to be kept you are not a gift to Jesus that can be ruined you are not a gift that can be lost oh man I just we watch America's funniest videos and fail army and all these things you know we just love laughing at people and in our family, which is something we just do. We love laughing, and it's easiest to laugh at ourselves and at people. You know, these videos of people who are, like, at their wedding, and somebody brings out the wedding cake, and it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun, and like, the whole thing falls over, right? Or a birthday cake. Uh, it's it's a- absolutely hilarious. Um, until it happens to you. Holly and I got married in October of 2000. And we drove from Greenville, South Carolina to Atlanta to spend two nights in the JW Marriott before flying somewhere else for our honeymoon. And uh, we woke up the first morning and went to the, you know, my dad gave us some hotel points for the Marriott. So we went up to the lounge at the top. We were feeling really big, y'all. Really big. We're married. We're going, we're So we leave the room. We go up to the uh, to the lounge at the top and have like a private breakfast in the top overlooking the city of Atlanta. It was just amazing. And then we left our room and, and you know, like it's lunchtime. And Holly's like, oh, I can't find my purse. can't find my purse. She went upstairs to the lounge, concierge lounge, and her purse has been stolen. It's gone. It had her retainer in it. It had her passport uh, in it. It had her license in it. It had $500 in wedding cash that we received, which, by the way, was almost all of our money. Uh, it, was, it was all It was all lost. It was all lost that's never going to happen to my salvation because God has sovereignly declared that he's going to keep me and that Jesus is going to keep me as the gift. It's his will. It's his will. I can't thwart it. I can't change it. It's a brick wall. I can't get out. Do you understand? The reason you are never going to lose your salvation is because he has said, the Gillettes will not lose their salvation before you were ever born. I'll take that any day. And this plays itself out, number four, in verse 39 and 40. Jesus is committed to doing what God has declared. Verse 39b, I will lose none of those He has given me. I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Verse 40b, I'm going to raise them up on the last day. If any Christian failed to achieve eternal security, it would be to Jesus' shame. It would mean that either Jesus was incapable of doing what God willed him to do or that he was intentionally disobedient to the Father. And that's unthinkable. He experienced every temptation. Every temptation last week, remember? And he didn't succumb. He was tempted not to do the will of the Father, not to go to the cross, not to keep you, those who are a gift from the Father, to him. And he obeyed the Father. We use this, so what? I'm sorry for the long sermon. I've been giving you short sermons. I'm due the 45-minute sermon. Okay. We, we use this as an illustration in our community group, most of whom are not here right now, so I will use it with you. We, I told you, we watch all these funny videos. We watched a video last week or two weeks ago where um, it was at a Caribbean island, and there's this long runway of the international airport on this Caribbean island, and, and, the, and the plane's taxi, and they turn right here, and they put their, in, their butt and their engines right here, and right behind them is the beach. And there's a chain link fence that's like you know, 12 feet high and it's got razor wire so nobody wants to climb over. But you know, when they start taking off and they, they floor the engines, it sends out a blast of exhaust and power. And, and there are people, the goal is this, to hang on to the fence as long as you can while the jet engine is blowing you back. And you've got people who are hanging on and their legs are a- flailing up in the air and on and on and on. That's when... And they're trying to hold on for dear life. And it's like, if you can do that, then you're truly strong or stupid. I mean, whichever way you want to. I mean, and it's hilarious. People go flying back like pieces of trash. I can't believe nobody's died trying to do it. Maybe they have. I don't want to be presumptive, but it's, I mean, it's crazy what people's bodies are like, how foolish are you? Like, I would never do it. Look at me. Like, I just, I'm not strong. Like, I just, I know I'm not going to be able, uh, I know I'm just not. I'm not, and I can see some really buff guy pulling it off, but you know, the, the videos that are the funniest are the ones where people just can't do it. They just, they just, they just can't do it. Because when you're in that moment, all of the pressure and all the responsibility to survive is on you because of the choices you have made. That's not the way eternal life works, y'all. All the power, all the pressure, all the responsibility is not on you. It's on the Father. It's on the Son. And they have declared it to happen. And Jesus is committed to making it. Happen. It is no more possible for someone whom the Father has truly given to the Son to fall away than it is for the Son to fail the Father. Jesus came to do the Father's will and His Father's will is this, that He's not going to lose you. He's not going to lose you. Jesus is going to hold on to that fence. You don't even have to worry about it. And that—that's if you need in your American freedom-loving human heart to do something yourself in this moment, what I want you to do is do Rome, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 that we read this morning. Run the race. Endure. Keep believing the gospel. No matter how you feel at any given moment, how encouraged or discouraged you feel at your spiritual progress, Just believe this. Just believe this. If you're not a Christian, what I want to tell you right now is that if you will believe in this gift, you will become a gift. Believe in this God, sovereign over the entire universe in his great love for you, gave his only son to pay the price for your sin that you deserved. that if you would just trust, believe, bank on it. In that gift, you become a gift from the Father to the Son. And forever you are His. Forever. Let's pray. Okay, Lord, thank you for this wonderful gift of eternal security. Your compassion never fails. Your faithfulness never fails. You don't stop based on anything that we do or don't do or might do. You, in your sovereign love, have declared and committed to give us as gifts to the Son, and the Son is a million percent committed to doing your will. And it's not just, He's not just doing it out of. Just like rote obedience, it is who he is. He loves us. You love us, Jesus. You treasure us as a gift from the Father. You love us. We're so grateful. And we, we, we ask that you would just make this so real and heavy of a truth that we can tell ourselves again and again, you're never going to cast us out. You're never going to cast us out because it's just not who you are. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful truth. Help us believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.